Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others in the way that Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listen in. So regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Good morning. It is a bright, bright day today. Uh, it's Father's Day, so just before we start anything, I just want to um, give a big shout out to all the dads in all your lives because as broken as imperfect and imperfect as they are, uh, they are our fathers and today's their day. So give your dad some love. Um, Give them a little popo on the cheek, whatever it takes. Uh, I wish I was preaching something nice and lovely and soft, especially because, you know, it is Father's Day after all, but we're continuing through the Book of Acts. So um, last week we finished our mini two-part within the Book of Acts about the, the execution of Stephen the Martyr. Um, and this week, we'll be continuing through our sermon series on Acts moving past the life and the death of Stephen into chapter 8. So if you guys can open your Bibles up with me to chapter 8. Chapter 8. At this point, Stephen has been martyred and... A great persecution erupts all over Judea and um, the Church of God is in a situation where they have to flee and spread out. And it is from that point that we read Acts chapter 8. I am reading from the ESV. If you guys are reading from the NIV or the NRSV, that's fine. Um, But even if you might not be standing, I pray that you would have a posture of reading God's word with utmost holiness. Acts chapter eight, this is the word of the Lord. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay my hands would receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could attain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? God, we humbly come before you in surrender. Jesus, we thank you for all that you are doing in your church. We have just read your word. We thank you, God, that your word meets us. Father, that your blessings and your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, God, that you invite us in a space where we can worship you. We thank you, O Lord, that you guide us and help us to be at a place where we can continue to lean on you. Father God, I pray that you would help us, help our church, Forgive us of our sin. And as we come before you, God, Holy Spirit, would you take us to the next level with you? To the next level with you, God. Holy Spirit, we confess that it is not human wisdom or human words or human knowledge that saves our souls, but it is by the power of the gospel alone, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Son, under the providence, the direction, and the purpose of the Father. And so, God, I just pray that it would be your word that cuts like a double-edged sword into hearts, that every single person would glean in this moment what they need to hear. Holy Spirit, hide me behind your cross, that only you would be magnified and glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're reading the first part of chapter 8. Before Philip baptizes the eunuch, we hear at this point, the context is that Stephen has been martyred, it's the first martyr, and so from that point, under the direction of a man named Saul, there is great persecution that spreads across the church. And people are scattered everywhere. One example of the people that are scattered is Philip. 
Here, Luke zeroes in on the story of Philip and Samaria. Philip goes to Samaria, one of the seven. You guys don't might not remember, you might remember, but we were talking about in, in the first part of when Stephen was lynched, the basis of Stephen's ministry was that seven people, seven diaspora Hellenist Jews were appointed because the widows were not being taken care of. And that one of them was Stephen. <coughs> Another one in this seven was Philip. And Philip, one of the Hellenist Jews, one of the diaspora Jews, goes to Samaria. He goes to Samaria and he begins to preach the gospel. Why is this significant? I'll, I'll go into this in a little bit, but I'll keep going. He goes and he preaches the gospel. He proclaims the gospel to the masses. He commits a lot of signs and wonders, exorcisms and healings. It splits into these two because here we see that there is spiritual healing and physical healing that happens here. That Philip is able to do miracles of the flesh that is visible and miracles of the spirit that you can hear. So it's a very sensory experience that Philip goes and he shares the gospel. And not only does he share the gospel, but he spreads the gospel. Not only does he spread the gospel, but he actually starts performing all these miracles, which include spirits shrieking and coming out of individuals who are oppressed by spiritual forces and healings of people that have been plagued with illness. It says in scripture that there erupted a great joy. And many, many people start believing in the gospel. Among them, one man whose name is Simon. Why is this significant? Why does Luke zero in on the story of Philip as opposed to everybody else? See, the thing is, is that Samaria, I don't know if you guys remember this. But Samaria is a place of importance that Luke decides to zero in on. Why? Why do you think that Samaria is important? Samaria is in enmity with Israel. I'm gonna to explain to you something about Samaria. Samaria is part, technically part of the 12 tribes of Israel, but Samaria is a people group that is outcasted by the Israelites. They are outcasted by the Israelites and they have become enemies with Israel. Why? It's all about Jerusalem and it's all about a place of worship. See, the Jews believe that you can only worship God in Jerusalem. But Samaria believes, Samaritans believe that you can worship God on a mountain, on their mountain. And they were always at enmity, at odds. But it wasn't just that they were enemies. There was also a hierarchical structure that the Jews had more power in. And so what it was, was that Samaria was the bitter, angry underdog that was outcasted and marginalized by the big bully. Samaria was the lost sheep of Israel, outcasted and marginalized. So if you think about this for a second, Philip a diaspora Hellenist Jew, a Jew that doesn't even really fully fit into Jerusalem because his culture is that he's Roman or Greek, right? He grew up 
in Greece. He grew up in other territories that were not Jerusalem that, and he returned to Jerusalem. So if you understand, he's like us, he's like Korean Americans, you know? He's, the, he's a diaspora Jew that goes into Samaria of all places and began, begins to preach the gospel. Now, Samaria is not just negative in relationship with Jews, but actually Samaria is not necessarily positive in their relationship with Christianity. We all know the story of John chapter four, the woman at the well, where Jesus talks to her and she gets saved and an entire town comes to Jesus. But not all towns receive Jesus positively. There were towns in Samaria that didn't receive Jesus in a positive way. One town even refused to be hospitable to Jesus and basically kicked him out with his disciples. So Jesus was not well received in Samaria and the gospel was not well received in Samaria. So Samaria has very, very tense, hostile relations with Jews, which means that there's number one, no reason for them to listen to Philip. And number two, Philip is lucky if he gets out without any violence acted on him. And yet, this is what happens. The first step is that Philip is used by God to proclaim the gospel and miracles are performed. And then the second step is that Peter and John from Jerusalem are called in. They're called in to receive the Holy Spirit to help the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit. And so there's this spiritual anointing that also comes over. So it becomes this two part. And then at the end, the third and final step, Jews and Samaritans are able to be in one church with fellowship. And it is marked by a specific word, peace. At this point, I want to give you guys the main idea of this sermon. The main idea of this sermon is that the power of the gospel is greater than witchcraft and that the power of the gospel reconciles enemies. You have to understand what is going on here. I mean, you can think of any people group that might be like this. Any people group. Honestly, there's a lot of... Um, many of you guys might not be aware, and if you're not aware, that's great. But for those of us who might know, in a lot of situations, we might come across that there is rifts and gaps between Koreans that are from Korea and Korean Americans here. Where when you go to Korea, you're treated like you're American and you're treated like a foreigner. But when you're in America, you're also othered, even though America might be all that you know. In every culture, there are hierarchies of power and class, sometimes even race, and people are marginalized and oppressed. Now this oppressed people group is completely outcasted. I wonder if they're like Native Americans on their own land being completely, nobody talks about this, Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln, completely killed off in mass, in huge masses in our American history. With that history being completely wiped out, indigenous people to this day not being treated right by Americans, not being taken care of by the system, completely cast off in a corner. 
in utter bitterness and anger. That might be an example of what the Samaritans were at this time, our relationship to Native Americans. Or maybe it might be our relationships to the black church. Or maybe it, be, it might be even Americans and immigrants. Either way, there are also hierarchical structures in our own country right now that play a huge role in whether or not we are heard by the church, whether or not we are seen by the church, whether or not we are represented in the church bodies, in leadership, in bodies of leadership. And so this is a big deal. It is a big deal that, the, that a leader of the church in Jerusalem, in the midst of persecution, takes it upon himself to turn that into mission and go into Samaria for the first time, breaking geographically from the holy city, going into not just any other city, not Bethlehem, not even Nazareth, um, not even Nazareth but like a place like Samaria and begins to preach the gospel. It is something that is groundbreaking. It is something that is unprecedented at this point because Philip is the first ever. And it is something that is dangerous because there's no guarantee that the Samaritans won't hurt him because they're in so much anger, under so much rage by all that they have experienced. And yet, when the gospel is preached in Samaria, just as it was in Jerusalem, people are healed. Evil spirits leave individuals. And not only that, not only that, but the gospel continues to spread. To the point where Peter and John the highest of the church in Jerusalem make a visit down to Samaria just for the sake of what? Blessing them, making sure that the Holy Spirit and not the Holy Spirit in terms of salvation, but the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority of the Holy Spirit falls on the people in Samaria. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. It's only been eight chapters of Acts. Literally only been eight chapters. The first time the church is mentioned as a full body is in Acts chapter 2. Already six chapters in, eight cha chapter 8 verse 1, we already see that the gospel is being brought out to a hostile place. Not an unreached place, but a hostile one. The power of the gospel is strong enough to reconcile hostile groups and bring light to the marginalized. We see here that Peter and John take this opportunity to bless them. Many people come in the name of Jesus and they become baptized and then they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We see here that even if the Jews couldn't fully accept and bring into the fold Samaritans, the church, what ethnic groups cannot do, what ethnic communities cannot do to reconcile hostility, the gospel enters in and the Samaritans are heard, they are accepted. But not only that, they are given full right, full authority, and full power. In the name of Jesus, what, the God, what these groups, the people groups and ethnic minorities and governments cannot do, the gospel does in one full sweep.
But that's not all that happens here. That's not all that the power of the gospel covers. Among the many that receive the name of Jesus, there becomes this man named Simon. And Luke hones in on this man named Simon. Now Simon was a magician. I want to, I want to, I want, I want to hone in a a little bit on this man named Simon. Simon was a magician. He was famous. The record of Simon of Samaria is recorded not just in the Bible, but in other extra biblical texts because he was well known. And a lot of Samaritans might have referred to him as their first resident God. Now, what is magic? Some of y'all might be thinking of Vengardium Leviosa. Some of you guys might be thinking of Harry Potter. Some of y'all might be thinking of The Conjuring. Maybe some of you guys might be thinking of the Salem Witch Trials. Maybe African folk voodoo. Don't know what you're thinking of. But in this context, magic is based on the view that all human beings, gods, demons, and the visible world, these four elements are connected by sympathies and antipathies in ways that can be influenced by rituals involving incantations and the manipulation of objects. I'm gonna repeat that one more time. Magic is based on the view that all human beings, gods, demons, and the visible world are all connected in ways that can be influenced by rituals that involve incantations and manipulation of objects. That's what magic was. That these three things are all interconnected and that by rituals, you can control or manipulate your situation. And the purpose of magic was to overcome public or private problems. At this point, Simon has been performing magic for a very long time. His magic has been not only accepted, not only verified, but completely normalized to the point where his nickname is The Great. He can call himself The Great, the God of all might, and people will receive it because his power has been completely accepted. Now, if you notice something about magic, The significance of magic is that magic gives human beings the power to manipulate your circumstances by drawing from the authority of spiritual beings. And it is normalized. This is important. I talked a little bit about how important this might be when we were talking about Carrots and star signs and how that's actually from Babylon, the enemy of God's people at the time. But this is something that goes on even into today. The most easy example that I can think of, just the first exposure I had ever gotten to a positive to a positive association with the word demon is actually an anime. I don't know if you guys know um, animes, but a lot of animes 
say Kamisama, right? Or some sort of like, a lot of animes are based off of like either real life situations or magical situations. And in a lot of those situations, you see manipulation of power and superpowers by what? Demons that are sealed. One really good example of that is Naruto. Um, but you can go even further, like there's just so many, so many animes that draw from the storyline of harnessing the power of a demon. We hear stories about Dracula, about Frankenstein, you know, Dracula made popular and then given a boxy white face is Twilight, you know, where vampirical power is seen to be such this positive, lofty, fluffy thing. And Bella at the end turns into a vampire. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry that I spoiled. I just... Oh, rip. Anyway, we move right along. I'm, I apologize. I, deep, I deeply apologize. Um, but humans, in that, in that storyline, you see that humans desire the power of demons to the point where they might become one. And it is made normal. There are a lot of different incantations that happen in this world. But witchcraft and magic by this definition and witchcraft and magic that is a derivative of this very magic that was experienced and manifested in Samaria happens in America today. There are many, many occults that are not seen as occults where all of these things happen. Incantations and manipulation of objects. And they might be compelling. This is the thing, guys. Human beings back then were not more dumb than us. That they gave into power that this world said was possible. It's not because they were more ignorant than us, less learned than us. It was because that magic was compelling. One crazy thing that it says in an extra biblical text called the Acts of Peter that Simon the Great can do is that he can fly. Simon as a magician was able to levitate. His feet came off the ground. So magic in this world is extremely compelling. We hear positive reinforce reinforcements of this throughout media, but there are also many, many situations where other religions or other occults might be more compelling because there's physical evidence of that magic. And so the Samaritans, many Samaritans, might have been bewitched under the magic of Simon because of what? At the end of the day, what is compelling? At the end of the day, what about magic is compelling? Yeah, all of these stuff, they're all great and dandy, but at the end of the day, what is so compelling about magic? And it's that human beings can manipulate the world around you and have control and power. At the end of the day, a human draw to the point where magic is normalized and popularized in pop culture is because of the basic human desire to want to be able to manipulate the forces around you, to have power over the forces around you. Mythology, all of these things are evidences of that. And I love, I love, I have a fascination with mythology. I love Harry Potter and I love Naruto. I do, I did, I do. 
didn't mean to say that in present tense, but I do. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that these things are normalized to fulfill a basic human desire. It's the same thing as a superhero. Like, what about Infinity Stones being able to do the universe? If that isn't spiritual, I don't know what spirituality could be. Like, objects that imbue power that can take, that a person, when absorbing it into their body, can possess all of the power that the stone carried. It's to fulfill the basic human need to want to control your circumstances. But even Simon, before the, even Simon, before everyone, sees the power that Philip and Peter and John have. He sees the authority. And he sees Simon, Peter, I, well, technically Simon, Peter, Simon, Peter, and John, baptizing people in the Holy Spirit and giving authority to the Samaritans. And he gives what? He gives money. He gives money and he says, I want to buy this power off of you. And he bribes them. It all at the end of the day comes down to the want and the desire to manipulate the circumstances around you, to rely on what you can see and on what you can do as opposed to a God that you might not understand or see or hear well. And what he ends up throwing is not just his power and his magic, but his fame, his reputation, and the monetary wealth that he possesses. What does Peter say to him? May your money perish with you. You cannot buy the gift of God with money. It says in Joshua, you cannot serve both God and money. And Pete and Simon is really honestly slapped in the face a little bit by Peter's rebuke. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. That first bit is very interesting because he says, may your silver perish with you. Peter instantly draws into not just the fact that he shouldn't have dared trying to buy off the power of the Holy Spirit. But the thing, the real thing is that silver means nothing to God because silver perishes. So Peter cuts to the heart and he says, may your silver perish with you. That your money is as limited as you are because your money is not greater than you and it will perish with you. That lesser thing called silver, kesef, will perish with you. Very, very profound and deep cutting response. He's saying that's worthless. That's worth nothing. It's not even a bargain. God don't need your money. 
but he doesn't continue. He doesn't stop there. He continues. He says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. verse 21 we see that his heart was not right in the matter and so it says Peter says here you have no share in the matter what is the matter the matter is not salvation Peter is not condemning Simon and saying you cannot be saved he's saying you have no part or stake in the matter being the receiving the gift of the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit because Simon was thinking in the wrong way. For example, let's say I'm playing I Spy and Amy and my eyes, if you guys don't know how to play I, I Spy, right? I Spy is when Somebody, you're blind, like when, when you see a picture and it says, I spy with my little eyes, something that is red. And it's like a characteristic of an object and you're supposed to look at a picture or a room to figure out what it is that this person is talking about or what it is that this hint is leading to or alluding to. It's like if I was looking at I spy and Amy was saying, I spy with my little eye, something that is square and something that is black. And she was talking about her phone and her phone is right here, but I'm looking here and I'm going, I don't see anything. Amy, I don't see anything. Wait, where's, where's the blocks? Where's, there's nothing here that's black. And Amy's like, no, it's right there. And I'm like, no, it's not there. It's not there. I'm not seeing anything. Why was I not able to see anything? I was not able to see anything. Because I was looking in the wrong direction. Not because it wasn't being offered to me, but because I was looking in the wrong direction. And what Peter is saying here is that Simon's heart is defective, not right in God's sight. He is saying that Simon's heart was not right, was not looking in the right direction. The word right, it means in this language, in the Greek, it means straight proper, honest. But in chapter 8, verse 21, what, what's happening is that Simon, Peter is saying, both their names are Simon. Peter is saying to Simon that his heart was not in a straight line. It was not honest. It was not proper because he was not looking in the right picture. See, Simon the magician was looking at a picture of manipulation of power for what he wanted. He was looking at a picture of the world and a worldview that was based on power dynamic, that was based on spirituality, that was based on the fact that ultimately if he feels that he can manipulate demons, that means that he's better than them. And he's looking at this this world with a different lens that I am great and that I can do all things that I don't need nobody. And that I can, I got to do it on my own. And he's looking at it in the state of independence. He's looking at it in the state of prioritizing money over Godship. He's looking at it in the state of seeing that he wants to manipulate his circumstances and that he would be willing to put any power, even power that he doesn't fully understand into his hands so that he can do that. He wasn't looking at the picture. 
And so Steve, and so, and so Peter says to Simon, you have no lot. You have no share in the matter of power of the Holy Spirit because your heart is defective. Later on, Simon Peter says to Simon the magician, in verse 23, he says, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And what Simon means, what Peter means by this, it says you are filled with gall, the gall of bitterness. Another word for this is actually poison. The poison of bitterness, but why it's gall is that it's it's a poison of bile, of throw up. This throw up, this bile of bitter anger and the sin of unrighteousness. Simon, the magician, his heart was defective. It was not right because it was poisoned by bitterness and anger and pride. The pride of Simon, the magician, and the desire for power over, over outweighed anything else in his life. So if you really think about it, what Simon Peter is saying to Simon the Magician, somebody who is powerful by the the standards of this world, somebody that is of great fame, somebody that has a lot of money, what Peter is saying to this man in Samaria, which is a hostile people. So the Jews are going into this place called Samaria where they don't have good relationships. And then on top of that, they're preaching the gospel. And then on top of that, this man that is loved by the people in Samaria, he says, he asks, he asks for this power and Peter completely rejects him. This is cause for being stung, really. What he says is really strong. And Simon, on the, on the spot, the magician repents of the rebuke that was said. Pray that none of this that you have said happens to me. This repentance takes submission because Simon thought himself to be a God. In order for Simon the magician to repent of his sin, he had to lay off his Godship and submit. You know who I think of when I think of this repentance? I think of Kanye. I don't know why I think of Kanye. It's because I think Kanye called himself God. Jesus, right? He called himself God. But in order for a prideful man, because at the end of the day, Kanye wasn't God. I'm pretty sure he knew he wasn't God. But at the end of the day, his fame and his power and his money led him to really believe that he didn't need anybody else. That he was great. And all that was at the end of the day, is a power is the power to be able to manipulate your circumstances enough power enough money to be able to do what you want and pride in order for a prideful man to repent it takes a surrendering of godship and a willingness to submit to god so in this situation we see 
the power of the gospel trumps not only any hostile relationships between groups of people, but also any witchcraft or power or money, the power of the gospel in one fell sweep knocks over all of these bowling pins in Samaria. Why does this, this story, if you look at it in the narrative of Acts, this story is wedged between the death of Stephen and the conversion of Saul. That's what's coming in chapter 9. The conversion of Saul. Okay? So for this to be wedged in the middle, it's a godly man dies, a really broken and perfect sinful man becomes saved, and right in the middle, the power of the gospel is enough to reconcile hostile people and to defeat any power of witchcraft, any magical authority, any demon or demonic power, and any fame, and any amount of money. The, the fact that the gospel and the power of the gospel is wedged in the middle like that is saying a lot. It's saying a lot. It might feel like it's out of the blue. But friends, we gotta understand in this time of quarantine, while our nation flips upside down and all of us, while our nation is equally flipping upside down, all of us are equally as idle, staying in our homes, only being surrounded by our comforts, only being surrounded by what we see, finally in a position where we feel like we can somewhat control our situation. We have to understand in our time today, the significance of God's word for us. The power of the gospel goes out regardless, number one, of danger, enmity, and hostility. Missionaries are willing to go to and settle in regions in which they cannot expect sympathies because the population is hostile. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Why? Why do you think that missionaries can risk their lives like that? Why do you think that missionaries can go into hostile places without any expectation of sympathy? Because the power of the gospel can do everything. You leave America as it is right now, America will not heal. I promise you this, without God, without the gospel, without God, no hostile group will be peaceful forever. There is not a single hostility in this world that can be completely healed and restored apart from the power of God. It is the ministry of reconciliation that happens in the sun that allows us to be tied to our enemies because all of a sudden we have common ground and that common ground isn't what that person can do that is good. It's not what I can do that is good. It's not the goodness of my heart and it's not the goodness of theirs or their ancestors or their ancestors before them. What it is, is only that the blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the forgiveness of all sins across the board, gives us a level ground to stand together in equality and in unity and in righteousness. The power of the gospel in one fell sweep. Do you know how long Jews and Samaritans have been at odds with one another? In thousands of years, easily, 
right? And in this situation, and in this situation, in one fell sleep, sweep, all of a sudden Jews and Samaritans are under one roof, worshiping one God in one place. If that is because of the righteousness of Philip, then the church would not be able to be what it is today. Only the power of the gospel can allow a person like Philip to go. Philip didn't go as a Jew and say, Jews and Samaritans, we need to all be in unity together. No, he said, believe in Jesus Christ. He healed people using the power that Jesus had imbued in him by the gospel, by the grace of God. He was able to heal people of physical ailments and of spiritual ailments because the power of the gospel heals people. It heals brokenness. If that brokenness is physical, then he can heal phys physical brokenness. If that brokenness is spiritual, Jesus can heal spiritual brokenness. If that brokenness is of the soul, Jesus can heal a brokenness of the soul. If that brokenness is in the church, only Jesus can heal the brokenness of a church. And only Jesus can heal the sinfulness of a person. And in one move, hostile groups can reconcile and have fellowship that is marked by peace. Secondly, the power of the gospel is stronger than any witchcraft or power. We cannot be intimidated by magical practices or dynamic phenomena. We cannot be intimidated by fame or monetary power. We cannot be intimidated by other powers in this world that allows people to levitate, that allows people to do rituals and practices and things actually come out of it. Just because things come out of it doesn't mean that those things are more powerful than our God. We cannot allow ourselves to be intimidated by the forces of this world. Now, I hate horror movies. I am so scared of horror movies. I cannot stand them. I cannot sit normally in them. It freaks me out and I'm a little bit freaked out just talking about it. But we cannot be intimidated by the forces of this world to the point where we submit to them over God. Simon was a celebrity. Samaria's first God and people worshiped him. But we cannot, church, we cannot, church, we cannot allow the normalization of these forces, these powers to get into our brains to the point where we really rely on money, on fame, on reputation, on success, on magic, in fiction above God. Well, I want to believe the things that I can see. That's great. But as I said, I said this in SNG yesterday, just because I don't see Austin right now. Austin is not in this room right now, right? But 
I, and I don't see Austin. Just because I don't see Austin doesn't mean that Austin's not real. And me saying, oh, Austin's not in front of me, which means that Austin, there's a possibility that Austin could not exist. That doesn't actually change the fact that Austin exists because his existent, existence is not contingent on my belief that he exists. Just because we prioritize fame, money, success, magic, the things of this world that we might be able to see above God does not change the reality that only God has the power to give things and take things away, including our lives. It doesn't change the fact that God is ruler over the entire universe. And in any situation, just because you don't believe that the American government, it doesn't exist, doesn't mean that you can just not pay your taxes, doesn't mean that you can just ignore the fact that Trump is president, because Trump is president whether or not you like it. And it would be foolish to think, okay, let me turn a blind eye and be like, act like Trump doesn't exist and America doesn't exist, because I don't like America no more. It doesn't work like that. If it doesn't work like that in government, what makes you think it works like that with God? God is still powerful. The power of God is still real. And just because you ignore it doesn't mean that the power and the will and the purpose of God for your life is going anywhere. Just because you ignore the presence of God doesn't mean that the presence of God is gone. And it doesn't mean that the power of the Holy Spirit is not any less powerful than it was before. What does that mean for your life? What does that mean that the power of the gospel is strong enough to reconcile people within days? 2,000 year hostilities within days just on the playing field, the loving playing field of the gospel. And the fact that there is no power on this world, world that can withstand the power of God. What does that mean for your life? What have you been holding on to? What have you been allowing yourself to be consumed with to the point where you have forgotten the presence of God in your life? What have you been in, absorbed in? What kind of gall of bitterness have you been absorbed in in this time of enmity, in this time of hostility in our country to the point where you have allowed it to take precedence over the grace of God? Your bitterness, your feelings do not get you anywhere. They are important to God. God will take care of it, but they are not God. Do not give them more power than you give your God over your life. What you do upon your feelings is up to you. If you continue to allow yourself to be so absorbed by the world that you forget God, that is you giving in to your feelings. It is not your feelings that has a hold over you. It is, just, it, it is not just inclinations that have a hold over you. It takes strength, inner strength, But that's not the only point. And this is the last point. See, when Simon the magician threw money at Peter and said, please take this and give me whatever power you have, the magician was misunderstanding the gospel. It is folly 
to think that number one, you can buy the gift of God with whatever it is that you have or whatever it is that you can offer. Number two, gifts are given freely. But even if it wasn't, if the gift of God was not a free gift, then we would all be screwed because there's nothing that we can offer God. We can misunderstand the gospel, even fundamental truths. We cannot be in line with the gospel and think of things not in line with the gospel as nothing. For me, this is a hard pill to swallow. The fact that God does not need me is a hard pill to swallow. The fact that God does that, the fact that God does not need my work, the fact that my work can't earn the favor of God is humbling even to me as a person that has dedicated her whole life to the Lord. That my dedication, it cannot buy me salvation, is humbling. But it is also comforting because there is nothing we can do to earn the favor of God. So stop trying to earn it and stop getting discouraged when you fall away. What does it matter if you've gotten distracted and if you fall? Why do you allow your discouragement in your season, in your dryness to be reason and fodder and justification to continue going that way? What does that have anything to do with God? Since when did your devotionals, since when did your prayers impact your salvation? That is our misunderstanding of the gospel. That is us throwing silver and saying, God, give me your power. When we are so absorbed by the world like Simon the magician was, we can also get to a point where we prioritize fame and power and authority over God. And it gets us into a point, when we get to that point, when we allow ourselves to be so absorbed with success and money and fame and power that we get to a point where we prioritize that over God, it gets to a point where it translates directly into our walk with God, where we throw our works, we throw our service, we throw our faith, we throw our devotional life at God and we say, please God, give me more of your grace. Do not misunderstand the gospel. The gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You cannot think of things not in line with the gospel as nothing. Just because I might love somebody doesn't mean that I can just move in with them right now and live with them and just look like without marriage. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that I can just be consummated in sex with that person forever. It doesn't work like that. We can't just think of things not in line with the gospel as nothing. We have to grieve through and accept and admit and confess to our sins. We have to address the fact that things that might feel natural, so natural, like love as defined by, I mean, it happens in our world around us all the time. People move in together. It's, it's just a normal thing. Girlfriends and boyfriends, they move in together before they get married. It happens. But we cannot think of things that are not in line with the gospel as nothing just because it feels right. Because your feelings are not your God. Jane, no, I feel discouraged. 
That is not your God. Jane Doe, I feel dry. Dryness is not your God. Jane Doe, I feel, I feel this, I feel that. That is not your God. That is your idleness, or it is your suffering, or it is your pain, or it is something that is, even if it is something that is valid, it is not your God. If it is not your God, it does not give you any justification to walk away from God. It does not give you justification to misunderstand God. This is not me saying that your experience and your emotions and that your pain and your suffering is meaningless. It is not me saying that your feelings are silenced. This is not Jane Doe silencing people. But this is me saying that our feelings are not good enough reason to not acknowledge God. Now, acknowledging God might come in very different shapes and forms, depending on what kind of season you're in. If you're in a season of dryness, it might be the simple acknowledgement that God exists in this world. If you are going through a season where God is showing you purpose, it might be acknowledgement of God's will over your life, over your own heart desires. If you are going through a season of discouragement and suffering and pain, where a lot of pain is being unearthed for you, it might mean Acknowledging that God is with you in your pain. Acknowledging the fact that God has not deserted you, even if it might feel like you're alone. Acknowledging the fact that God has said that he has not forsaken you, not even once. And letting that hang over your head louder than the lies that burn in your heart. Letting that hang over and be as real to you as that lie. Or if you're in a season where you are completely lazy, then it means getting off your butt. Because your laziness is not your God. But it is with the full acknowledgement that we act not to earn God's favor, not to earn like we do fame and success and money and all of these things. But because we are children, because we are accepted, because we are fully, unconditionally, irrevocably loved. Because of Jesus, men and women, that have been enemies for hundreds of years can stand in one house as friends and brothers and sisters, as family. Because of God, we can look past what we see. We can look past all the things of this world that might, min- that might loom over our lives that we might wanna control. And we can say, it's okay if I don't have power over that because God's got it. And that is in equal parts comforting and offensive. So for those of you guys who are offensive, I invite you to come to a place of repentance as Simon did. He, nobody knows whether or not he was fully willing to say that prayer of repentance. But if you are feeling offended, I pray that you would be able to come to a place where you would be convicted, that you can confess to God that you are offended and that you can ask him for grace. Ask him for understanding. Even when the world looms over us and Instagram pops off and things go beyond our control, it does not change the fact that only God 
has the power. Would you join me in praying? From wherever you're listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Thank you.